This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. I don't know about you, but on Sunday mornings, I get notifications on my Apple Watch and also on my my cell phone how much time I spend on my devices, how much time I spend on my phone. And I'm ashamed to admit, every week it's over eight and a half hours. And last week, Sunday morning, I get the notification. I spent nine hours and 15 minutes. I was about to say nine and a half hours. I didn't want to over-exaggerate how much time I spend on my devices, but that's just part of the business, I guess, that I've chosen here. This weekend, if you could have amount of time watching your television monitored, I bet it's going to be a really high number when you consider three consecutive time slots tomorrow. We've got local teams playing. North Carolina playing NC State at 2 o'clock ESPN, 4 o'clock. Duke playing Louisville ESPN. I don't know where the Wake Forest game's going to be broadcast, but I'll be at it. Wake Forest going up against Pittsburgh at the Joel Coliseum. Then on Sunday, you have the terrific NFL championship matchups. We'll talk about the championship games in just a bit. But speaking of the NFL, we were introduced to new Panthers general manager Scott Fitterer earlier today. As that was happening, David Tepper was on the Zoom call. Find me something more relatable today then somebody that's worth over $13 billion talking while his Zoom mic was on mute. That's about as relatable as it gets. I really appreciated that. We heard from Matt Rule as well. And one of the things that stood out from Fitterer was at the end of his opening comments, before he took questions, he said he was not going to comment on specific players on the roster. Specific free agents, specific players. I don't know, like this Deshaun Watson guy that's being shopped around in the league currently. When I heard him say that, here's how it translated in my mind. I don't want to take Teddy Bridgewater questions for the next 20 to 30 minutes. I just got this job. But he didn't need to answer those questions. I think when you hear what he said, and also, listen, just reading between the lines what David Tepper has said over the last month, including this week, It's become pretty clear the Panthers know Teddy is not the future of this team. He's not the future answer at quarterback. Tepper, he's the one that's going to make the final call on this. He is heavily involved in team activities. We've learned this. And it's pretty clear when you read between the lines, he does not see the future with Teddy playing quarterback for his team. It reminds me a year ago. When he was approached by reporters time and time again during the offseason, he's asked about Cam Newton, and he did everything short of saying, yeah, we're going to get rid of that guy. Yeah, he's not going to be playing for us anymore. If you followed the team, if you just listened to what he said, you got the gist. Cam wasn't going to be a Panther. I'm getting that same gist hearing Tepper talk about Teddy Bridgewater. Now, it's different. Cam had one year left on his contract. The cap hit was a lot favorable 
a lot more favorable for the Panthers with Cam moving off him than it would be for Teddy this year. So this isn't me saying that Teddy's not going to be the quarterback next year, but there is a chance of that. And I think there's an even stronger chance 2022 Carolina is going to have their answer at quarterback and they're probably going to find them over the next three months. Tepper, he said last month when they got rid of Marty Herney, being asked about quarterback, you always got to reassess the quarterback position when you don't have that guy. We're reassessing our quarterback position. So that's him flat out saying, yeah, we got to reassess unless you have that guy. We don't have that guy. He also said this yesterday, talking to Kristen Balboni, Panthers reporter. He wasn't even asked about Teddy. He was talking about Fitterer and talking about his mentality and talking about his philosophies. And even then he couldn't stop from saying something that sounded kind of incriminating for Teddy. You know, as far as scout is scouting is concerned, use uh, different analytical techniques that we would like to use internally. You look at how Seattle's been so successful, um, probably second most to New England over the last few years as far as a record. It doesn't hurt to have a quarterback. Eh, it doesn't hurt to have the quarterback. We're looking for one of those. Eh, it doesn't hurt. You got a great quarterback. We'd like to have one. That would be awesome. Fitterer was asked to define what a franchise quarterback is. And even that answer felt like a shot at Teddy when he said, a quarterback that wins the game for you at the end of the game. Teddy had seven or eight opportunities last year to do so with the ball in his hands. Didn't win in any of those circumstances. So let's, even though they're not telling it, uh, telling us point blank that this is going to happen, that they're going to find the successor to Teddy this offseason. Let's be adults about this. They're, that's exactly what they're doing. They're not going to tell you point blank, read between the lines, Teddy is not the future of the Carolina Panthers. He had his opportunity this past year. He did not prove, he did not demonstrate that he should be the franchise guy beyond 2021. I think they're going to go after Deshaun Watson. Do I think they're going to get him? No. I still think all this stuff we're seeing in the media it's agent talk, it's front office banner, it's teams that want it to be true, that they want Deshaun Watson to go somewhere else. Houston's a bad spot, don't get me wrong. It's one of the worst-run organizations in the league. They're considering hiring Josh McCown, for God's sake. It's bad. But until Watson attaches his name to it, until Watson says, yeah, I want to trade, until that comes out, I'm still going to believe he's returning to Houston. Because you can't get fair value in exchange for a quarterback of his quality. So I don't think Houston's going to be that excited to try and move on from Deshaun. And until Watson says officially, I want to trade, I'm I'm hesitant to welcome the circus that is to happen if he does so. That's how I feel about it currently. But if that does happen, Carolina's going to be involved. Carolina will be in the mix. They're going to go after Deshaun Watson because... Ian Rappaport, to let you know how things work in the media space, he would not throw the Carolina Panthers into the name, uh, the, 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 the teams he feels are in the mix for Deshaun unless he had some information to back that up. He's as plugged in as anybody. He doesn't just throw out names out there. He included the Panthers because he knows what Scott Fitterer is about. He came from Seattle. Seattle's always in the mix for all of these players. Anytime there's a trade, Seattle's always a team that's mentioned in that. And that's what Fitterer wants to bring to Charlotte. This isn't conjecture. 
This is exactly what Fitterer said when he was asked about the hypothetical of pursuing a quarterback that might be unhappy in Houston. Well, I'm not going to get, get into uh, hypotheticals. What I will tell you is we will be on, in on every deal. We're going to find out where things are going, what the landscape is in the NFL. But before we do anything uh, outside, I need to figure out who's here. I need to figure out this roster. I need to figure out who's on our offensive line, who's on our defensive line. I know him from a 30,000-foot view, but I need to know him from a coach's standpoint. I need to know him from a personnel standpoint and meet these guys and see what they're made up of. So there's a lot of things we're going to be involved with going forward. We're going to be very aggressive in our acquisition process. He went on to say every year they're wanting to either draft or bring in a quarterback in free agency. That's the aggressive approach. Constantly changing the bottom of your roster, trying to reevaluate, looking to get the best players, being in the mix for trades. That's what Fitterer wants to do. That's why David Tepper brought him in, and Matt Rule played a big part in this process too. If it isn't Deshaun, though, let's say Carolina doesn't get Deshaun Watson, I think they look strongly at drafting a quarterback with their first overall pick. It could be at number eight, but Fitterer even said the day. We could move up. We have some flexibility in that spot. We could trade back, and somebody might be available there. I don't know. Like the guy that they're going to be coaching next week at the Senior Bowl in Mobile. Carolina has an advantage, along with the Miami Dolphins, of coaching some of the best senior prospects at the Senior Bowl. Since there aren't going to be, there isn't going to be any kind of uh, scouting combine at least not in a normal sense, that's a big advantage for Carolina. So Mac Jones has a real opportunity to try and impress the Panthers. It's a great quarterback class. You're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. Odds are you're probably not going to get Fields or Wilson either unless you trade up, but there is a chance one of those two could fall to you at eight. If you do have one of those guys, take them. But I could see Carolina even reaching at Mac Jones at eight or reaching on Trey Lance. I think if they don't get the Sean Watson, they're going to be drafting a quarterback in the first round. They've made it pretty clear. They know Teddy Bridgewater is not the future of this franchise. He might be the right now guy. He's going to play quarterback in all likelihood, unless Deshaun's a Panther, 2021. But beyond that, I think there's going to be a quarterback, a rookie that they're grooming, set to start in 2022. Shifting things to the games this weekend. I'm taking both the home teams. I hate the point spreads I see here. I don't love any of them. But I'm going to lean on the home team still. I know it's not the sexy thing to do. Hey, who do you like this weekend? I like the favorites. But that's how I feel about it. I think starting with Kansas City and Buffalo, the moment's going to be too big for the Buffalo Bills. Kansas City, they have the greatest margin of error, I think, of any team I've ever watched in football. I think the comparison between them and the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green Warriors is a really good one. Because the margin for error was so great with those teams. They, they could be down 20 points in the second half, and you still feel like they're in a game. Why? Because you have so many elite players, the way they hit threes, it changed basketball. And the way Kansas City's playing, goodness. How many shots can they take? How many points 
do they have to be trailing by before you think they're not going to win the game? How many points? Last year, they were down 24-0 to Houston. They won the game by 20. That was in the playoffs. They trailed by double digits to Tennessee. It did not matter. I think they won that game by double digits. They were trailing in the fourth quarter by double digits against San Francisco in the Super Bowl. Ended up winning that game despite the fact they had a third and forever that Mahomes had to convert on to Tyreek Hill. How many points? Even if the Bills jump out, which I don't think they will, I still think Kansas City wins the game. There's a really good chance Kansas City just jumps out and never looks back. Mahomes is going to play. If you've missed that headline today, Mahomes... As we expected, he's out of concussion protocol. He's cleared. He's ready to go. With him in the lineup, how can you not pick Kansas City? 24-1 in his last 25 starts, including the postseason. The playoff bills, they are not nearly as fun as the regular season bills have been. So there you have it. I, I like Kansas City to win, but if the bills do, Robert, I'm going to jump off a car and into a table. Because Bills Mafia will be in the Super Bowl for the first time in 30 years, if that were the case. Shifting things to the NFC game. Everything points to the Packers. Everything. The Packers, they're the more complete team. No chemistry issues at all. Many of these guys were on the team that went to the championship game last year. Everybody knows their role Offense, defense, special teams. Injury-wise, I'm not concerned about Green Bay at all. You look at Tampa, no Antonio Brown. That stuff, he's been ruled out of the game. AP was big down the stretch for Tampa. The weather's a big thing for me. Tom Brady, it's not going to affect him. He's been there. So is Rob Gronkowski. But everybody else, how do you simulate mid-20s in January with pressure, a postseason game, and, oh, yeah, more than a 50% chance of snow. How do you do it? It's a warm-weather team going to Lambeau. I think that plays an enormous factor. And Green Bay, they're the one that's played like an elite team. Tampa hasn't. See, I, I highlighted Tampa a few months ago as being a team that could get to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. I like them a lot. They're built in a way that's interesting. They have a lot of talented players. Favorable schedule down the stretch. They're probably going to be playing their best football at the end of the year. And, oh, yeah, they have that Tom Brady guy. But Green Bay is the one that's really delivered. Even though they lost to Tampa halfway through the year, we learned last week when Green Bay, or make it Tampa, beat New Orleans despite the fact they lost 38-3 to and lost both regular season meetings with New Orleans. Eh, the regular season doesn't matter as much as you might think. So don't worry about that midseason meeting. Green Bay, they're going to win this game because – They've been circling this date since they got blown out by San Francisco in the championship game a year ago. Tampa, maybe with the full offseason, maybe with a little bit more chemistry, they might be in this spot that Green Bay is currently in right now a year from now. But I like Green Bay to beat Tampa. It would be history, though, if Tampa wins. If Tampa wins, they would be the first team to play in a Super Bowl hosted in their town. <laughs> the Super Bowl is going to be in Tampa. Oh, and we got some news regarding the Super Bowl in Tampa. That they're going to have over 14,000 fans attend. And then they're going to add 7,500 vaccinated medical workers. Most of which would come from the Tampa area. 
but every NFL team would get to nominate medical workers in their communities they could send to the Super Bowl as well. All the workers at the Super Bowl, too, will have been vaccinated as well, both doses. So that is the latest on Super Bowl 55, which is just a couple of weeks away. Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves to daydream about sports, mostly about being the locker room towel boy. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. One ball and no strike. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. That is one of my favorite play-by-play calls ever. Vin Scully behind the mic as Henry Aaron hit home run 715. He described it years later. What else are you going to say? It's the home run that everybody was looking forward to. Baseball, the biggest sport in America at that point. He hit it out. We all knew what it was. And you just step away from the microphone. Sometimes the best thing you can say is nothing at all. And few understood that better than Vin Scully did. I asked Roy Williams earlier today his thoughts on the passing of Henry Aaron. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. But I wanted to share this from John Dell before we do compare him with Darren. We'll do some talking Henry Aaron with Darren in a second. But uh, John Dell had this tremendous story, and it's why it's important to support local journalism and read local. With the Winston-Salem Journal, John wrote about Henry Aaron signing his first professional contract in Winston-Salem. Now you might think, well, why is that? He played his entire year. Uh, career with the Braves, first with the Milwaukee Braves before they moved to Atlanta where he was there forever. But first, before he played Major League Baseball, he played in the Negro Leagues. And he signed a contract with the Indianapolis Clowns. That's the name of the team, Robert, the first contract he signed. But Indianapolis was playing a game back in, let me see if I can get the correct year, 1951, They were playing in Winston-Salem, so they signed him, but before it was made official, he needed to actually physically sign the contract, so they put him on a bus. This is what he told Dan Collins, or the manager of that team told Dan Collins back in 2008. He said, probably as scary a moment as I had was when I was 17, my mama put me on a train in Mobile, Alabama. This is what Henry Aaron told the manager, and it was going to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She packed me a brown big bag of sandwiches to eat and stuff, and she put me on the seat right here and said, you don't get off this seat until you get to Winston-Salem, and there will be somebody there to meet you. That's when he joined the Indianapolis Clowns. So there's your local tie to the triad with Henry Aaron passing away today. As promised, before we do some comparing with Darren, it's Talking Henry Aaron with Darren from USA Baseball. Um... You love the sport more than anybody I know, Darren. What's your favorite part of the career of Hank Aaron? When you think about Hammer and Hank, what's your favorite aspect of his career? Yeah, I think it's it's in in no other sport in the big picture context do we have someone who's like a top universally known to be a top three, top five ish player in their sport of all time yet is somehow like kind of underrated 
and it speaks to a him Hank Aaron not technically having the career home runs crown of Major League Baseball anymore, but people still call him the home run king, and even that seems seems a, a little bit like short of what he was. And to be honest, I think it's like it, it's it, there's something to be said for as we've had you know more this this flurry of Hall of Famers passing away one after the other lately. There's something to be said for the giant of a person that that Aaron was within the game of baseball. Like literally anyone you ask about Hank Aaron says, "Man, like sure he could slug it. He was a great hitter, great player, but what an awesome dude!" Every single one of them. And and you know when we've got Hall of Fame voters who dread the process and the idea of submitting a Hall of Fame vote because of the the off-the-field things that most guys, by their baseball merit, they feel like they have to vote for. Um, you know, it, it's just it's it would be nice to be uh, reminded of of some of the good off-the-field things that baseball players are, are capable of. Again, as as Aaron made us aware over and over, and and you know, people refer to him. We refer to him as Hammer and, and Hammer and Hank and. Um, that even sort of sells it short. I, I never got to interact with Hank, but old teammates of his, like Tom House, the former pitcher, he, he famously caught number 17 in the bullpen. Um, guys like him and Daryl Evans. And, uh, around all of Major League Baseball, Hank was known as not Hammer, not Hammer and Hank. He was known as Soup, and they meant that to be short for Superman. I mean, he was he was the black Superman in, in most contexts, and it just... It's funny how you know, we all all agree he's a top five player in MLB history, but that gets undersold. Darren Vaught with us here. I love this way to try and put 755 in context. Somebody wrote, I want to give proper credit where it's due. It was Phil Murphy who wrote this from ESPN. He's a sports center host. If a player hit 40 home runs per year every year, he'd match... Hank Aaron somewhere around game 142 of their 19th major league season. Oh yeah, yeah. while averaging 305 and 121 RBI and 198 hits a year. They just don't make players like that anymore. There are a lot of well, great and, and Hank you, Aaron and stats. If you look up and if you look Josh up at the at the uh at the career home run leaders list. Keep in mind, Hank never hit 50 in a season. Like most guys are up there because they've got this wow. little small smattering, three or four years where they've got, you know, 50, 60, in some cases, 70 home runs. Hanks was truly prolonged greatness. Let's dive into comparing with Darren. Uh, as Darren Vaught joins us, shoot him a follow on Twitter if you haven't already at Darren Vaught. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow all this Hank Aaron talk. None of these are great. So you guys are just going to have to remember Hank Aaron. Robert always undersells these. He does. Where we try to compare whatever Robert tells us to compare. Why? Because Darren's name rhymes with comparing. <laughs> and no other nice reason than that. Henry Aaron with Darren today, by the way. That was good. Thank you. Uh, we're going to start with Josh. Josh, we're going to start with an easy one here. Uh, what do the Chiefs and J.R. Smith have in common? You can compare those two things at your leisure. When I think of J.R. Smith, I think of somebody who's shirtless and drinking Henny. Yeah. So I think both had to turn to Henny. 
Anything is possible. That was my easy one. And I was like, what can I do today? Let's start off with some easy ones. Darren, this is kind of easy one for you, mostly because it's a crappy joke. Uh, James Harden, I'd like you to compare him to a corduroy pillow. Um, does this have anything to do with his beard and, and his face being itchy? No, no, not so much about his face being itchy. Is that your guess? Sure. Uh, James Harden and corduroy pillows. They're both making headlines. Someone boo this man. Okay. okay. Someone boo. That's really broad and bad. How many pillows do you sleep with at night? Do you <laughs> do you cuddle with a pillow and sleep on another like I do? Do you do that? I am a one-pillow man. Uh, my girlfriend, on the other hand, sleeps with like four. She's got one against the wall, two under her head, one between me and her because she doesn't like me touching her with my feet. Darren? Man, I hit 30. I used to be a one-pillow guy. It didn't need to be anything special. Yeah. I feel like I hit 30 and just started having weird, weird tinges. So it's like I got the memory foam underneath my head. I put one between my knees so they don't bang together. I've probably got another one off to the side somewhere. Yeah, I'm a big pillows guy. I thought he was going to say he had 30 pillows. I was like, damn, dude. <laughs> Diplopedic sleeping in luxury. Uh, whose turn is it? I think it's Josh's turn. Josh, I would like you to compare Joe Brady and Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. This is tough. Uh, it's not him being crotchety towards young people. It's not him doing a finger gun. It's not him owning a Gran Torino. So I think you're getting at he's always staying at home. So I guess Joe Brady is staying where he's currently at. You were, you were on to something at the beginning of that. Uh, neither one of them want to talk to 16-year-olds anymore. <laughs> I made that All joke right, on Twitter. I know. That's what made me think of it. <laughs> Literally terrible. He ain't I going back you. to college sports. We're, we're, we're running with these. These are today. really bad this week. <laughs> let's, let's go rapid fire. Here we go, Darren. These are, this is probably my favorite one of the, of the bunch. Worst Panther this season compared to an important skill in the movie Bird Box. The worst Panther this season. Yeah, so not like Pink Panther, but like the actual football team. So who was the worst Panther on the Carolina? I Panthers? hope he's seen Bird Box. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hold on, I feel like this should be obvious, but the worst Panther thing is tripping me up. It could get, it could be to anybody. Who? Uh, Obviously, in Bird Box. It's a sensory movie, right? Minus sight. You're going to be able to hear. I know this one. It's to hear. Oh, there it is. To hear, Whitehead. <laughs> it's to hear. <laughs> it's to hear. There you go. That is painful. Uh, Josh, last one for you. I would like you to compare these three things. Uh, an alcoholic at happy hour, a diabetic testing their blood sugar, and Stanley Kubrick filming The Shining. A lot of shots. Yeah, people who take less shots than the Nets. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you, there you go. Josh is on it. Yeah, we're moving yeah. it. And our, a lot, that's a fun fact about Stanley Kubrick. A lot of takes. Dude, and that movie, takes. he ran her ragged. Check that out on YouTube if you guys haven't. But uh, Darren, here's your last one. I'd like you to compare Marge Simpson and what John Cena used to call his fans circa 2008. Yeah, that Kubrick fact did not really age. Uh, <laughs> Hold on. Cena, I want to say Chain Gang, but I don't know what that has to do with Marge Simpson. Okay. Ah, dang it. He did call his fans the Chain Gang, but I was looking for homie. (laughs) 
These are brutal. terrible. Just thanks brutal. <laughs> thanks for know, playing compared brutal. with Darren. Get, get out of here, Darren. <laughs> thanks for your comparing and your uh, sharing about Henry Aaron. Appreciate you got you. it. I'll see you guys next week. That's uh, Darren Vaught from USA Baseball. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate High it. High point as well. Robert's mic on. He doesn't know it. Hey, my mic's on. That's great. Let's hear that sound from Roy Williams. I asked him earlier today for his thoughts on Henry Aaron because I know in talking to Roy in the past, he loves watching the World Series each year. Big baseball fan. So I figured he'd have something to say about Henry Aaron, and I turned out to be right. Ball example. I love guys that make a really hard play and make it look easy. And that's what Hank Aaron did. I don't like guys that make a really easy play and try to make it look hard. I tell my guys that and have used that for years and years and years. Mickey Mantle was my favorite player. and uh, But I grew up in the area of Mickey Mantle and uh, Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. and I loved watching those guys. And, and Hank Aaron was just one of the best of all time. And, again, I think that uh, never really got the true appreciation of what he did. Good stuff from Roy. He also got his first dose of the vaccine this week. They had some extra ones that were set to go bad, kind of like what we saw with Duke getting Coach K and David Cutcliffe vaccinated. So Sean May and Hubert Davis on North Carolina staff also got the first dose of the vaccine as well. Coming up, the latest example of David Tepper, Panthers owner, Breaking NFL norms as he looks to continue building in Charlotte. Keep it here on The Drive. Want to become a real sports fan? Leave it right here. It turns everyone it touches into raging psychotics. All things sports. Well, sometimes. On The Drive with Josh Graham. We'll keep it simple in 15 minutes. It's also a significant anniversary for two reasons that I'll tell you about in just a few minutes. But right now, I want to get into some crazy Hank Aaron stats because baseball stats are the best stats. When you look at analytics, I just love the deep cut numbers of baseball. Maybe that's because I had baseball cards as a kid and you'd look over to the back and those numbers would mean a lot more than any of the numbers you'd see on football cards or whatever sport you want to talk about, the NBA as well. But these numbers regarding Henry Aaron just blow my mind, Robert. You let me know which of these you like the most. First, crazy Hank Aaron stat. Hank Aaron passing away today at 86. 25 All-Star Game appearances in 23 years <laughs> that's pretty good how do you like that back way back when they used to have multiple all-star games a year he would play in both of them 25 all-star games in 23 years i don't know if you're going to be able to top that one but we'll try a big number to reach for any hitter robert if you're going to be a hall of famer like a surefire hall of famer 3,000 hits that is a Big milestone to reach in baseball. Not only did Henry Aaron reach 3,000 hits, he had the 755 home runs. He was the home run king until Barry Bonds became the record holder uh, 
in terms of home runs. But if you took away the 755 home runs he hit, Robert, he'd still have more than 3,000 hits. So not only did he eclipse 3,000 hits, you take away all the home runs he had, he's still over 3,000. So he's not just a home run hitter. That's crazy. He did everything. And the last of the three crazy stats I have, also center on the home run king, Hank Aaron, and Barry Bonds, who holds the record for most home runs in Major League Baseball. If you look at total bases, Henry Aaron had 880 more career bases than Barry Bonds did. What does that mean in the context of home runs? If Henry Aaron hit 200 less home runs, 200, he'd still have more career bases than Barry Bonds did in his career. It's mind-blowing stuff what he's doing here. Out of those three stats, what did you enjoy the most? It's got to be the first one for me. 25 All-Star games. That's just such a cool little stat. 23 years. He went to the All-Star game for 20 straight seasons, man. And the time period. So his first major league season was in 1954, seven years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. The next 20 seasons, 1975 through 19 or 1955 through 1975, he made the All-Star game every single year. That's Henry Aaron, the beacon of consistency. Not just in baseball, but I think all sports. Uh, he's the best example of that. It is a milestone day or an anniversary for two major events, one in pop culture, one in sports. 15 years ago today, this kind of strikes you, Robert, because just a couple of days ago, actually it was yesterday, we were talking about songs that came out 15 years ago. Wes Miller was feeling old when we brought up You're Beautiful by James Blunt. We brought up Laffy Taffy. We brought up Temperature by Sean Paul. Be not a big fan of Sean Paul, I learned last night on Instagram and Dot. 15 years ago tonight, Kobe Bryant dropped 81 against the Toronto Raptors. That was before Robert became a fan of the Toronto Raptors. It's before I even cared about sports. <laughs> like, I wasn't even into stuff then. When were you into sports? I got into sports uh, when my best friend made the varsity team uh, 2010. This would be at North Davidson? Correct. Okay, so your best friend started playing sports, so then Robert said, you know what, maybe I'll I'll buy into this sports thing. Well, I had just always wrestled. Decades later, we're going to, Robert's going to be working in sports. Right, I, I just never cared about it, and then I, I started clicking for me and started playing Madden, and I was like, hey, sports are pretty cool. That Kobe Bryant game still blows me away. The thing I'll always remember about it, see, Robert, maybe your fresh years. What do you know about the 81-point night that Kobe had against the Toronto Raptors? <laughs> Nothing, I'm, other than they were probably wearing those sick dinosaur unis. The thing that's nuts to me about Kobe 15 years ago, January 22nd of 2006, dropping the 81, was that how many points do you think they won the game by if Kobe scored 81 points? Mm. I'll say they won by 20. They won the game by 18 points. So you're pretty close there. 
But what's nuts to me about it, if you go back and watch the highlight, Kobe, all the points he scored in the game, the Lakers are trailing the entire game. The entire game they're trailing. After the first quarter, they're down 36-29. After the second quarter, they're down 27-20. The halftime score, I should say. They were down, got to do math on the fly here. Don't enjoy that very much. They're down 63-49. to So they're down 14 points at half, Robert. And they didn't take the lead until the fourth quarter of this game. Toronto was waxing the Lakers that night. Not LeBron. Kobe, he did it single-handedly. Single-handedly, he was carrying the Lakers when they were trailing by so many points. I think the guy who did television for the Lakers, he was off that night because it was a Sunday night. I think there were playoff games being played. So whoever was doing the Lakers actually had a fill-in that night. Could you imagine you're the voice of the Lakers and you're not there for the night Kobe dropped 81? Uh, That's bad, a tough break. Bad time even to put better, it for PTO. Even better, imagine being the second guy. Oh, okay, I'm going to do the Lakers. Oh, they're playing the Raptors. Kobe drops 81. Stat line, how many shots do you think it took Kobe to get to 81 points? How many shots did Kobe take scoring 81? Are we including free throws in that or not? No, we are not including free throws. Kobe, 18 of 20 from the foul line. Uh, I'm going to say that he shot the ball 55 times. 46. Jeez. 28 for 46. That's 60% shooting from the field. 7 of 13 from three-point range. How many minutes did Kobe play? He played 42 minutes out of 48 that night. <laughs> 81 points. 15 years ago for Kobe. Also on this day, just a little bit further back, 18 years ago, the same week that LeBron James played at the Greensboro Coliseum against Rayshon Terry and company. 18 years ago tonight, a little show called Chappelle Show debuted on Comedy Central. 18 years ago. This is the question I have for you. I know you appreciate this show. I love the show as well. I have a mask that has Dave Chappelle as Prince on it holding a thing of pancakes. Can that show be made in 2021? If you dropped, let me put it this way. If they did the first episode they did in 2003, in 2021, what would happen? If it was... Frontline Clayton Bigsby, the black-white supremacist who's blind. I think with the right person, you could still do it. I think... Who would it be other than Chappelle? If Chris <sighs> Rock did it, yeah. Yeah, so but much. Is there an up-and-comer that you can even name? Maybe Gerard Carmichael, who's from Winston-Salem? Maybe. I guess it could still be done. Like, Key and Peele did some stuff, but I don't think they pushed the, the limit as much as Chappelle did. No, no, they did not. Just think about that. The first show you have on television, that's when you're going to be pulling out the blind white supremacist who's black. That is the, uh, it's it's the most Chappelle thing. Oh, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go bold right from the jump. And many people still consider that the best Chappelle show bit. I haven't thought about it. You know what, Robert? We'll do this next hour. 
Kevin Keats, we're expecting for him to join us. I don't know if he's a fan of Chappelle Show, but I am. I will give you my five favorite Chappelle Show bits. The five best Chappelle Show sketches. I'll give you that next hour. So I have some time to think about that. And if you have your favorites, you could tweet us. At Sports of Tryon, at Josh Graham Radio. Now, would you be breaking these up into like uh, every Charlie Murphy story time? Like, okay, oh. or are you just going to say Charlie Murphy story time is your... All right, your... let's hash this out now. Would you separate them? Because the Rick James story is totally different than the Prince story. And is there another one I don't know about? There, I would have to double check. It's been a minute since I've looked through them. I don't know if he tells two different... I think he does tell do some stories, but it's the... Uh, I can't remember. But I, I would say if it's bits, then I would separate it. Or I wouldn't separate it. I would say, well, that's Charlie Murphy story time. But if it's your favorite skits, then I would say yes. Okay. I, I think sketches. So I would have to separate them. Okay. So you're talking about a specific five, six, seven minute sketch that they had. So you might have both Prince and uh, Rick James's. Charlie Murphy, Hollywood's stories getting in there. Good clarification on your part there, Robert. Good question. We have a, it's not a sketch, but we do have a segment that we like to do on Fridays coming up right here. See, in the most simple way possible, I'm going to tell you what's happening in the NFL and with the ACC Big Four. We call it Keep It Simple, and it's next on The Drop. Here's your mic check. Check, mic check. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. So last hour, I mentioned today was an anniversary of sorts. There's a sports anniversary for today. 15 years ago being the night Kobe Bryant dropped 81 on the Toronto Raptors. We also learned yesterday with Wes Miller that Laffy Taffy came out 15 years ago this month, as did Temperature by Sean Paul. James Blunt, You're Beautiful. He told us the story about Bobby Frazier singing that song with Bobby Frazier. Wasn't a good singer whatsoever. 18 years ago, we learned that today that Chappelle Show debuted on Comedy Central. I still believe this to be the best sketch comedy show of all time. It's either that or Saturday Night Live. This one I enjoy slightly more because I'm a big Chappelle guy, but I love Saturday Night Live as well. Maybe since Saturday Night Live's been around longer, it's still going. It's a live show. I might give that the nod, but love Chappelle show nonetheless. I have a mask that has Prince serving pancakes. It's Dave Chappelle as Prince. Robert... I maybe had two people recognize that mask with me wearing it out. Easily a dozen, though, say, is that a Prince mask? And they don't recognize it Chappelle as Prince. Kind of disappointing. It's also kind of, like, rude to just stare at people, like, and their faces, you know? Like, they're probably not just staring right at your mask, and they're going to look at a glance and be like, oh, is that Prince? And it is. I mean, it is Prince, but it's Eddie Mur- uh, Dave Chappelle dressed up as Prince. Not, not Eddie Murphy, but... I got the top 10 here. 
I originally was just going to do five, but that was just impossible. I didn't realize how difficult of a task this was. We got into this last hour. Hey, I'm just going to put together the five best Chappelle Show sketches. And I realized that five was too small a number. And now, Robert, I'm realizing that 10 is too big a number. So I've narrowed it down to 10, but it was a really hard thing to do. So before we get into Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, a game I'm going to be at tomorrow, and we get into Duke Louisville as well and the ramifications surrounding that game, I've got the 10 best Chappelle Show sketches on the 18-year anniversary of Chappelle Show making air. Number 10. Robert, you let me know what you think of this list, too. Number 10, the Samuel Jackson beer ad. You remember that? I do. Bill Burr, he's the one asking, I think I'll have a Samuel Jackson after everybody got a Samuel Adams. He makes a couple of cameos in this. There's actually a, a lot of funny people that were on this show before they were actually famous. Neil Brennan's a really good example of that. When I think of that ad, though, it's just good mother bleeping choice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and capping it with the line, one of his famous movie line, yes, they deserve to die and I hope they burn in hell. He's dressed <laughs> up like Samuel Adams. I don't know how they came up with all these bits. They're all so good. But the Samuel Jackson beer ad, that cracked the top 10. Number nine. Trading spouses. This is a deep cut one, Robert. Go, 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 go. Get your ass in the car. It was number 10 on mine. I'm over here scratching them out. You have a list too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not like who, what I think are the best. They're just my okay. favorites. Okay, your favorites. The kid doing the G unit. <laughs> you have you have the uh the white parent putting the black kid in timeout and he loves timeout. I won't say how he's enjoying timeout, but he loves that. I found your lightsaber. That is number nine on the list. Number eight. Fear Factor featuring Tyrone Biggums. You had to pick a Tyrone bit. There's the classroom visit. There's, is this the five o'clock free crack giveaway? And then you got the fear factor. I, I always love the fear factor one because of Joe Rogan making an appearance. I feel like it's the most quotable lines in that one too. Like, my feet are strong, <laughs> Joe Rogan. Come down, yada, yada, yada. Come down on these bull penises with me, baby. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. <laughs> Fear Factor featuring Tyrone Biggums. That, I love it. And when people say, oh, Joe Rogan, he's this this big podcaster. I can't tell you how many people say, oh, I love the Joe Rogan podcast, all this. I guess it's fine. I don't listen to it. But people say he self-created himself. He didn't need the mainstream media. Please, we knew Joe Rogan from Fear Factor. If you're not old enough to know Joe Rogan from Fear Factor, well, you're just, you're, you're, too young to understand this conversation, and though and, and, and such, I know I'm not really going to validate your opinion. Got too charged up about that there. Fear Factor Tyrone Biggums is number eight on the West. Number seven. When keeping it real goes wrong, Robert. When you think of that sketch, what do you think of first? I don't like people playing on my phone. <laughs> How many times during the week do you say that? 
I you heard me yell it on the way last on night. the way out of the office the last other night. Last night. I get these spam calls and that's my go-to. I don't like people playing on my phone. Why don't why do you pick them up? It says spam call now. Uh, they need to know. I usually I say, "Hey, add me to the do not call list." And they're like, "Oh, yeah, okay, we'll do that." I don't think that exists cuz I get like 6 or 8 spam calls a day. I don't like people playing on my phone. And she was right. She was right to be curious. But the one I think about is the guy uh, when Chappelle gets really mad at the guy saying, give me some skin in the meeting room. <laughs> and at the very end of him just absolutely blowing up, he goes, Wu-Tang! <laughs> That's on the outside looking in, by the way, the Wu-Tang financial. That was 11th or 12th here. You need to diversify your bonds. Number six. There's another one I wanted to put in the top ten, but I just didn't know how to say it. Yeah. It's a specific family. Yeah, I figured that would that make an appearance. You can't really. I don't know how to talk about that one. What number is this? Number six? Yep. The Rick James, Charlie Murphy, Hollywood story. I'm Rick James. That actually was part of the reason Chappelle wanted to end the show. Because people on the street would just yell at him, I'm Rick James. You know the rest of that sentence. He was sick of that. He didn't want people to know him as playing Rick James. He he was a respected comic before that. So it's part of the reason why he went away. That sketch, so many memes came out of that. Rick James doing the finger thing that looks like Napoleon Dynamite doing the the flying bird. He has this like, come here, come Yeah, on. the come here. Uh, Cocaine's coca- a hell of a drug. Cocaine's one hell of a drug. <laughs> That's where that came from, too. My what favorite. did the five fingers say to the face? <laughs> we should have never gave y'all money. <laughs> That's a- <laughs> Leap your couch. <laughs> Darkness. There's just so much. Leap so your much. couch. I can't believe we're doing this here, but we're in the top five now. These are the creme de la creme, the top Dave Chappelle sketches ever. Number five, Mad Real World. <laughs> that when the night vision comes on, man, it's hard not to laugh. I had sex with Katie. <laughs> hey, dog, I had sex with Katie too. <laughs> I'm making some juice. Everything about that sketch is funny. When he brings his dad in, oh, I didn't like the way he was looking at me. Oh. That entire sketch is unbelievable. It's it's an unbelievably funny sketch. It still holds up today. All of it still holds up today. Number four. The racial draft. Heck yeah. One of these two had to make it in the 10, but I couldn't include both. The racial draft and the World Series of Dice. One or the other. It, it was tough to include both. Bill Burr doing the commentary on both of them. The racial draft, it's just, it's such a great, I'd love for this to be watched in a movie theater. Like, if if every week you were able to watch it in a movie theater, how big of a pop do you believe it would be when they when the Chinese delegation drafts the entire Wu-Tang Clan? <laughs> it's, it's an unbelievable moment in television history. I just remember crying laughing when that happened, Tiger Woods being the first overall pick, and he's doing the fist bump. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Number three. This might be too high for this, 
but I've got the player haters ball. Who's your favorite on the player haters ball? Do you remember most of the characters? I can't. I guess is somebody named Stank Nasty. Oh no, Buck Nasty. Buck Nasty. That's Charlie Murphy, or that is uh, that is Charlie Murphy. Okay, yeah, I'll I'll take Buck Nasty. Ice T is also there, right? Ice T is in there, yeah. But if you go through the list, there are <laughs> you got Buck Nasty, you got Patrice O'Neill playing Pitbull. <laughs> Dave Chappelle, I mean, he he's stepping in there and he's making terrific jokes about Buck Nasty's mom and her dish. I love the way he talks. He talks like everything's just rolling off the front of his teeth. Uh-huh. I love the way he talks. Hate, 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 hate. And then they brought them back and traveled them in time. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to save you from these honkies. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Number two. Uh, that's a sentence I didn't think would ever be uttered on <laughs> Sports Talk Radio today. Funny enough, I used to think that Virginia Tech <laughs> was the honkies. Oh, my God. I thought it was that, like- <laughs> that is a sentence. Again, like I've been doing sports radio for years and years and years. I don't think, say it again, this <laughs> sentence has ever made it. On Sports Talk, like you wonder, see, you're trying to, d- to distinguish yourself from other people. I don't think anybody else. We've seen a lot of Hammer and Hank, Hank Aaron coverage today. We've seen a lot of stuff with the ACC with Adam Gold and such. But nobody else is saying this on the radio today. We're going to save you from those honkies. Number two on Chappelle's show, the Chappelle Show Top Ten. It's the 18-year anniversary of Chappelle's show. Number one. Oh, see, Robert, it's number two. We, we're at number two now. Uh. The Frontline Clayton Bigsby episode. Mm. It's the first episode, and he just was throwing 101. Like, you have to have your best stuff if you're going to address a subject that has a black guy who's blind who's a white supremacist. Like, you better be throwing 105. And they did. The entire delivery of that, and you have a ton of gifts. The best gif and meme that I think is still on the internet is when the guy's head explodes in the crowd. (laughs) I think that's actually Neil Brennan. Like, accomplished comic Neil Brennan, whose head explodes in the crowd there. But that's number two. Number one. The Prince episode. Mm. The Charlie Murphy story Prince episode. They they play basketball, man, and he's running... They're they running all these fruity picks. That's the way they described it in the episode. <laughs> Computer blue. <laughs> Good. Good. Game. Blouses. Him just being at the club and saying to the people next to him, this bores me. <laughs> Anybody up for a game of basketball? And another great pop moment is like when the guys, when they just roll up wearing the same stuff that they were wearing at the club to play basketball. <laughs> it's amazing. And and they close it up with serving them pancakes. Would anybody care for some grapes? <laughs> <sighs> and it's a true story. That's the best part of it all. That's why it's number one. It's a true story. The day that Prince died, the photo surfaced. And also the day that Charlie Murphy died, the photo resurfaced. Of Prince and Charlie Murphy in the parking lot playing basketball, like in a driveway playing basketball. It's wonderful. 
what else was in your on your list that I didn't get to? Uh, I wrote down anything with Paul Mooney. So oh, the movies, yeah, the movies is is, is my, Tom Cruise is the last samurai. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, I love the Little John stuff. Yeah! Anything he did with Little John. Okay. Uh, what? And the more deep cut stuff, I love the I Know Black People game. Oh! Where... <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> Where they're like yeah. asking what a badonka donk is. Yeah. And like, what it a- is pimp and easy? <laughs> Ever will black answer, people ride? What's great is, <laughs> is pimp and easy. Everybody answered the question no, because that's the answer from the song, except one guy who just really confidently says, hell yeah. And they gave him the right answer too. Why? Because I guess pimp it is easy for that guy. There uh, you go. My favorite exchange from that is, uh, how will black people rise up and overcome? And the female police officer is like, get out and vote. And Dave's like, eh, that's incorrect. <laughs> like, what, what else is on the list? Rapid fire real quick before I get to Wake and Duke basketball. Uh, the last stuff on my list is Wayne Brady. The Wayne Brady oh, episode. yeah, yeah. Is Wayne Brady going to have to slap uh-huh, him? Like, uh-huh. I, that, that to me is just so iconic. Mostly because I knew Wayne Brady off of uh, Who's Line. You should be thankful for Dave Chappelle. (laughs) You should be thankful. Thank you, Dave. Run! I think Wake has a chance to win tomorrow. Nice transition. That was smooth. As smooth as Chappelle dating Oprah. (laughs) Is Wake going to have to choke her? No. (laughs) Maybe. They're they're playing Pittsburgh tomorrow. And I, I just think it's not... Wake Forest is not outmatched. Talent-wise and in terms of experience tomorrow. They're not. And it's been a while we've been able to say that because you look at the games they played in the ACC, they're 0-5, 0-6 in league. Georgia Tech, ton of experience. Michael DeVoe been around a while. Jose Alvarado, Moses Wright, those guys who've been there. Virginia, we know about that talent level. It's the, it's the pack line. Duke, Louisville, talent disparity. Virginia Tech. I actually thought that was a pretty close game. I was there. I didn't think there was much separation between the two. And then North Carolina, that's a game that Wake shouldn't have even been in. The size disadvantage, it was so obvious. Wake measures up pretty well against Pitt, and I also think Pitt's going to have a bit of a letdown after beating Duke. I was on those postgame calls, and they acted like it was just another win beating Duke. I don't really buy it. I think Jeff Capel understands how dangerous Wake can be. But the players, that's what I'm concerned about. You just beat Duke. You're going into sleepy Winston-Salem. And you see that Wake hasn't won a game in league. Are those guys convinced they're going to be in for a battle? Because I am convinced that's what we're going to watch. So I hope Wake can get the win tomorrow and that Steve Forbes can get conference win number one. Because if he doesn't, NC State next week, that looks like a bad matchup depending on who State has available tomorrow against North Carolina. So that's the deal with Wake. Duke and Louisville both coming off back-to-back losses. Big game. I think it's going to be a telling game. Louisville, they lost to Miami. That's inexcusable. Losing to Florida State, that's eh, more understandable. If you lose three in a row, mm, well, what exactly are you? Duke's lost to Pittsburgh. Good team, not a great team. Virginia Tech, they're ranked in the top 25. Three straight losses, kind of feeling the same way. So that's a compelling game. Going to be played at the Yum Center at 4 o'clock tomorrow. 